Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Nick and Bush coming at you with another Black Monday episode. Today we have the final installment of our eight-part divisional preview series where we talk about our top sleepers, values, busts, um, league winners, and bounce-back players from each division. If at any point during this video you receive any value, I want to encourage you to like the video, comment down below, and subscribe to the channel if you're new. Today on tap we have the NFC West division. A lot of a lot of fun fantasy football players in this division with the with the air raid offense and all that stuff in this division. So how are you doing today, Nick? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of one of those divisions that in real life football, it's going to be exciting to see kind of how it plays out, like which team is going to kind of rise to the top. Uh, in theory, the worst team is the Cardinals, but they're super exciting. Uh, they have a really fun offense. Cliff actually kind of proved last year that he's a really exciting coach and he can shift. Uh, kind of with what's going. I mean, we got Russell Wilson. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's an exciting division. Um, I'm excited to talk about it. Cool. So we're going to hit the intro and then we'll see you guys on the other side. All right, so on tap first, we got uh, sleepers. So this is one of my favorite guys. I get this dude in almost every draft because he is virtually free. Like he's usually 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th round pick, whatever draft you're doing. And to me, he has the shakiest starting running back in the entire NFL of the top tier running backs. He has the shakiest one of the best handcuffs. So um, one thing I just want to go over real quick, because I've, I've, we've never mentioned this before, is uh, the true handcuffs in the NFL, there's only a couple of them. There's not that many. It's Kareem Hunt, Latavius Murray, Alex Madison, Tony Pollard, and Chase Edmonds, who is my guy right here. So Chase Edmonds is the best of the handcuffs to me, in my opinion, because one, I think he has the most standalone value. And two, I think Kenyon Drake is the shakiest of those five starters or six starters, however many handcuffs I just said. Um, so Chase Edmonds, he ranked number six in true yards per carry last year, number eight in yards created per touch. So he's obviously a talented player, an explosive player. Cliff apparently believes this as well. He came out the other day and said that he believes he's a starting caliber running back, which could just be coach speak. But at the very least, it tells me that he is the solid number two. It's not like Eno Benjamin, who they drafted in the second round or the seventh round uh, this past year. So he had the third least amount of, uh, or sorry, the Cardinals offense had the third least amount of seconds per snap at a 28% rate of no huddle, which means basically this offense runs at a high pace and their percentage of no huddle was double the second place play, uh, team, which was the Buffalo bills. So I think in the Cardinals offense this year, there's going to be more than one fantasy relevant running back. Yeah. I, uh, I love Chase Edmonds just kind of as a player as like a general football player. I think he's really good last year when he got the opportunity to shine, he did, you know, when there was that period of time where they were like going from David Johnson to Kenyon Drake or whatever. I mean, all Chase Edmonds ever did was, was play good football, very efficient. He also is a player that I try and leave any draft I do with. Uh, I think people are kind of getting like, keen and smart to him but still for some reason he goes behind guys like Madison and Pollard and stuff and I think he's pretty much in the equal tier with those guys like maybe even higher to be honest yeah. just because those guys have I mean Dalvin Cook and uh, Zeke Pollard especially are, because Zeke never misses games yeah well and they're dominant they're freaking bell cows you know yeah. Kenyon Drake he looks awesome he looks great I'm taking him at his current ADP but still, there is a question mark to where he can produce last year, or is Chase Edmonds just going to kind of take over the backfield? I think there's a chance that that happens. 
Yeah. And especially like with all these guys, injury is obviously the easiest way that they're going to get on the field with all these handcuffs. But I think Chase Edmonds is to me, he's the only one in my opinion that has an actual, like, even if it's like a 5% chance that he just beats the starter out outright, just based on talent. Like it's not even just like a, um, an injury thing, but yeah, Pollard, especially, I don't understand why he's going higher than him because Zeke never misses games and there's no chance in hell that Tony Pollard ever beats out Zeke Elliott for the starting job. So the Cardinals offense as well, the big concern with the run game, and maybe it's not a concern if you, if you look at Edmonds as a great receiving back, I, I think he's more explosive in the run and like the rushing attack, but he is great as a receiver as well. So if they return to the more air raid style that Cliff Kingsbury was supposedly going to bring in, they did actually about mid season when they got Kenyon Drake shift to more of a traditional offense. And this could have been for a number of reasons. This could have been because Kenyon Drake ran in it better. This could have been because they didn't have four receivers that they could field on a consistent basis and actually run an air raid scheme. And for those of you who don't know what an air raid scheme is, is you have four receiver sets a lot of the time. So if, if you're all your, in, uh, all your receivers are hurt and, or some of them just aren't performing, you can't really run an air raid system. So if they return to the air raid, there still should be 30 to 35 rush attempts per game. And even you said you love Kenyon Drake. I'm a little off Kenyon Drake. But even if you love Kenyon Drake, there's no way in hell he's getting more than maybe 20, I would say, which leaves probably 10 to 15 rush attempts per game available for chase and targets as well if Kenyon Drake is, is um, maybe not as effective in the receiving game. Kenyon Drake's an awesome player, but you can't convince me that he can last a full season 100% chance that he's like gonna average 20 touches a game and and last the entire season because we've never seen him do it there's a chance he can do it but I'm erring on the side of he's more last year's Damian Williams um uh where we just hadn't seen it across a full season so to me Chase Edmonds just remains one of the most valuable handcuffs in fantasy and I, I think this year of all the years with all the COVID situation and all that stuff he should have flex value at minimum in a PPR with the upside of much more if an injury were to happen to Drake or if he just straight up outplays him. Yeah, like I said, I love Kenyon Drake, but even with that, I also love Chase Edmonds as a player. I think they're just both talented guys, and uh, at his cost, I don't know how you couldn't take him, especially with Cliff being as good of a coach as he is. If you get um, Drake too, I think you absolutely have to pick Edmonds. I think him and Cook, uh, Dalvin Cook and Kenyon Drake are the two running backs that you absolutely need to handcuff because – they're both injury risks and Drake uh, more so than cook is, is just a risk of like, will he maintain the starter job? Yeah, I'm open to that. I, I think for me, I'm just going to swing at the upside. Like if I have Kenyon Drake, Drake, I'm just going to accept that I took him in the second round. So I just got to hope he hits. If I get Chase Edmonds later, great, but I'm not going to like try and force it. Chase Edmonds, I think is just a great standalone pick, no matter how you look at it. Yep. Um, my sleeper is uh, Gerald Everett. So Gerald Everett is a little bit on the lower side of kind of like people talking about him than Chase Edmonds is. But if you look back at last year, like Tyler Higby showed out the last six weeks. But before that, Higby had been outsnapped, outplayed, really just like out-targeted everything by Gerald Everett. Gerald Everett got hurt also the last kind of six weeks. So there's kind of a like a pretty easy thing to see of like before he was hurt, Gerald Everett was the guy. After he got hurt, Higby stepped in and he showed out. Like, if you look at the numbers between last year, Higby was much more efficient than Gerald Everett. Gerald Everett didn't do quite as much with his targets. But when you kind of just look at it as a whole, Sean McVay believed in Gerald Everett more. So if we kind of look back, I mean, Gerald Everett is tight end 34. Tyler Higby is going very early on. He's kind of, yeah, like that's, that's kind of my whole thing here is it's like, the cost is completely not worth it when you go for Tyler Higby based on five weeks. 
Gerald Everett, you can get much later. Uh, they got rid of Brandon Cooks and also kind of signaled a shift last year towards 12 personnel the last 11 weeks. Uh, they played 76% of their snaps out of 12 personnel uh, from week 11 on, which just so happened to be when Gerald Everett got hurt. So this year, I think coming into it, like they played 12% 12 personnel before like weeks one through 10. So without Brandon cooks, without, uh, with Gerald Everett coming back 12 personnel, I think is going to be almost exclusively what the Rams run this year. Like Josh Reynolds, I think is a non-factor. Uh, and the five, the final five weeks, Gerald Everett, uh, he played four snaps. So some people say like, Oh, he played in those games. It wasn't just injury. He played four snaps. There was something going on there at the beginning of the year. He was playing well. And uh, really, I just think he's a forgotten man. If you look back at his college profile, super dominant. They drafted him in the second round. Super athletic. When he's got an opportunity, like he plays well. And uh, yeah, I think Sean McVay kind of showed at the beginning of the season he likes Gerald Everett. Yeah, and I think a lot of people forget this because we've been spoiled over the past couple of years with guys like George Kittle and, and Mark Andrews. But tight ends take a while to develop, man. Like especially Gerald Everett came from what, like Alabama State or something? He came from a small school, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yep. So – Gerald Everett and and even other guys like guys that are in their fourth year this year David Njoku OJ Howard like Evan Ingram like these guys this they're actually on trajectory for a normal tight end progression like they're not like bust yet I wouldn't consider them I would say the rookie contract is about the time you want to see tight ends develop and we saw it last year with Austin Hooper everyone thought Austin Hooper wasn't that good and he broke out his final year of his uh, of his rookie contract so I definitely like the Gerald Everett call. I'm more so just like in the camp of like, I'm fading Higby just completely because he had basically the easiest tight end schedule that you could possibly have. I believe he played the Cardinals twice, which I mean, was just like any tight end could perform against the Cardinals. So I'm, I'm more so just in the camp of fading Higby. If you want to take a shot at Everett, I don't blame you. I think your, your sleepers more so probably for, from dynasty purposes or like a low value trade target guy, because I think, I don't think Everett's going to have much value in redraft this year. I think his value more so come, uh, it, like maybe in the second half of the year, if Higby is just underperforming or gets hurt or something like that. So uh, we'll move on to the bus. And this is a guy I started out really high on this dude because he was going really late and then his ADP right, uh, like rose like crazy. So I'm completely off this dude. There's no way I would draft him. That's Raheem Mostert. Uh, the reason Mostert is risky, it's not anything to do with his talent or his, his ability or whatever. It's Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan's running backs have been hard to predict the last few years. Each guy last year had a moment in the sun. It was Breida one week. It was Coleman the next. It was Mostert towards the back half of the season. It was, I mean, like like even Jeff Wilson had a couple good games. Like it doesn't even matter with Kyle Shanahan. He'll throw any or any, like he'll literally put anyone back there as long as they can run the ball. And I'll put this chart on the screen right now. This shows an opportunity market share chart of any given week last year of a 49ers running back. So you can see the highest number there, I have it circled, is 42%, which was Raheem Mostert in week 13. 42% opportunity market share to put that in perspective is like similar to what Chase Edmonds gets. Like that's not a lot. And I know it's a great, a great offense and a great situation, a great rushing attack, but a 42% opportunity market share is not good. Like you want your, uh, uh, for a guy to be a feature back, I would say they need to be 60, 65%. And this was just one week, Tevin Coleman, you can see after Raheem Mostert had three of the, the next three highest weeks in terms of opportunity market share. Th this, this like, whole situation is just concerning in general a, a true a workhorse or feature back should fall around 60 percent and the 42 percent that he saw and then like the 30 plus percent things that Coleman saw it's just it's just overall concerning you don't want to tie yourself to a situation where you have no idea when to start a guy and that's what the 49ers backfield truly is at its core 
Yeah, they're the type of team, and Kyle Shanahan's the type of coach. I just like to go with the cheapest guy. Um, exactly. So I'm going to kind of talk about him a little bit later. But, yeah, just in general, like, I don't think that you want the most expensive guy because we just don't know what's going to happen year to year. I mean, Raheem Mostert came out from being the cheapest guy last year, you know, and like now yeah. it's like – I don't know. He was great. He was very efficient. He played well, but I'm just not going to pay for the cost because we've seen year over year. We just have no clue what's going to happen. So, yeah. And we talked about it on the strength of schedule um, episode as well. If you want to go check that out, it's really informative for what running backs to target, maybe fade early in drafts and trade um, for midseason. But Raheem Mostert has one of the worst schedules to start the season. And if Raheem Mostert is the starting back to start the season, there's a chance that he doesn't perform well because he's going up against great rush defenses. And then they work in guys like uh, Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon, who you're going to talk about later. And the, the buzz out of camp is that McKinnon's the guy that's impressing everyone, really. Like, the, he's quote-unquote embarrassing linebackers of camp, and Coleman's still involved. Like, this is a full-blown running back by committee. And if, if you don't think so, you're, you're fooling yourself because it, maybe it's Raheem Mostert for the first couple of weeks. Maybe it's not. Like, it's going to be hard to predict week over week. So uh, unless you're in a best ball draft, I'm just completely fading this backfield. And Jarek McKinnon's the guy that I'll take just because he's the cheapest. 100%. Yeah, I think you uh, nailed it on the head. That's exactly how I feel. Um, so my bust is going to maybe sound a little bit weird, but I'm it's really just a strictly, too. yeah, it's a strictly ADP bust. Uh, so my guy is DeAndre Hopkins. I love DeAndre Hopkins. He's so talented. He's been so good throughout his career. Uh, but just in general, wide receivers that are switching to a different team, especially in this climate, uh, it just it doesn't typically work out. So over the past 10 years, we've had 34 different wide receivers with ADPs among the top 36 wide receivers switch teams. Only 12 of them have scored more points than they did the previous year. And only 10 of those out of the 12 actually ended up with a higher ADP the next year. So basically, it's like a 30% chance, which, I mean, that doesn't sound too low, but that's less than half. That's not something we want to bet on when you include injuries and all of these other factors of fantasy football. Just that alone kind of sets the stage for just not looking very good. All right, so last year, Hopkins was entirely a volume-based wide receiver. He received 28% target share and averaged 10 targets a game, which, I mean, that's absurd. Going into the Cardinals offense, we already kind of talked about how it's air raid-esque, especially like last year they faded away from it. But with their wide receivers this year, they're going to be running it out a lot, at least three wide receiver sets. And I just don't see DeAndre getting that kind of volume. Christian Kirk, in my opinion, is the guy to own in this wide receiver group. I don't know if he'll be their wide receiver one, but just at cost, I love him. Uh, and yeah, so I guess the one thing kind of on the side of Hopkins is like, we haven't seen many elite wide receivers, like switch teams, like there hasn't been that many. So because he is such an elite wide receiver, maybe he can work it out. But going back to last year, he did set career lows in yards per reception and yards per target. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that had DeAndre, uh, or DeAndre, Deshaun Watson as his quarterback. So I don't know. It's just at cost. I'm just not willing to take the shot. Yeah, I'm 100% on board with this. And you said we haven't seen a lot of elite wide receivers do this. Well, we saw one last year, and it was Odell Beckham, and he, he disappointed mightily for fantasy. And maybe he had a sports hernia and he was hurt or whatever. But the narrative still held true because you did see a lack of chemistry between him and his quarterback. And let's not pretend, as much as we love Kyler Murray and we think he's going to take a step forward, let's not pretend that Deshaun Watson's not one of the best five quarterbacks in the NFL that he just came from. So it's not like he's getting totally. an upgrade at quarterback, which we – even last year, we perceived Baker Mayfield to be an upgrade over Eli Manning, when in fact, that probably wasn't even the case. 
And even guys like Allen Robinson, his first year in Chicago, he wasn't that good. Like, yes, he was coming off of a torn ACL, but he still wasn't that good switching to a new quarterback and all that stuff. It took him until his second year with the team that he actually broke out and became the, the borderline elite fantasy receiver that Allen Robinson is now. Mm-hmm. So into the values of the, of the draft from this division. So my guy is Cooper Cup. And I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm the only one on Cooper Cup. I don't know why, but Cooper Cup had a great season last year. From a touchdown perspective, he had 10 receiving touchdowns, which is very likely to repeat. In the fantasy industry, everyone's just going to look at it and go 10 touchdowns regression. Like that doesn't happen for Cooper Cup because he commanded a top three red zone reception volume among the wide receiver position. And he had a near 30% uh, red zone target share. And this has been a trend of his going back to his rookie season. He's always been involved in the red zone. And he's Goff's dude. He ranked uh, top 15 in quarterback ranking when targeted last year, despite Goff being kind of shit. Like he wasn't good at all. He, he ranked barely poorly in catchable target rate and target quality. That is Cooper Cup. And then if Goff can bounce back even a bit in 2020, Cup could return to the form that we saw him at in 2018, where he was like dominant before tearing his ACL. He was top three fantasy receiver and he had a near perfect quarterback rate, uh, rating when he was targeted. At worst, you're getting a dude who averaged nearly 17 PPR points per game last year on a team that vacated Brandon Cooks. I know they're shifting to 12 personnel. Like, I don't care what it is, to be honest, because Sean McVay knows that Cup is his best receiver. He's going to find a way to get him the ball. If Cup is not dominant on the outside, which the uh, advanced analytics prove that he is better in the slot, he's going to find a way to fix that. Sean McVay is a smart coach. We've seen him adapt before, and I, I think he'll adapt again. If Cup is struggling, he's going to find a way to get him in check. Yeah, Cooper Cup's one of those guys that, honestly, I don't want to like at all. He's kind of like Drake as a hip-hop artist. Like, you don't want to like him, but he's just so good that you have to. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about Cooper Cup. Like, I really don't want to like him. Everything about his college profile pisses me off. I don't like who he was. I don't like the hype. But he's just come in, and all he's done is play really well. I also really like uh, my guy Bobby Woods. But, uh, yeah, I like Cooper Cup a lot. It's a good call. Yeah, I like them both. I think they're going to be similar to like the Bucks receivers last year. It's going to be a, a pretty, uh, like the Rams passing game is going to be pretty dominated by the two receivers, in my opinion, which is why I'm really not that high on the tight ends. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think Cup to me, I have him ranked higher than Woods. The reason is because I think we've seen Cup's ceiling, and his ceiling is a top three fantasy receiver. And especially in any kind of PPR league, he pretty much out targets Woods every time he's on the field. And he gets the red zone work, which Woods doesn't, uh, evidenced by the two touchdowns that Woods scored last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really good call. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of liking this uh, Rams offense in general. Uh, so my call is someone I kind of alluded to earlier, especially with my last pick, and uh, that's going to be Christian Kirk. So sometimes I like to keep it simple, and I just look at, okay, so Christian Kirk is going as the wide receiver 40 in ADP. And uh, I really think Christian Kirk's floor is a wide receiver three. So just right there, I think there's some value increase. I I just, in my mind, I don't see him finishing less than a wide receiver three. He's being drafted as wide receiver 40. So wide receiver four, there's just, that's his floor. I think his upside is a high-end wide receiver two. I don't know if we get him at a wide receiver one, but high-end wide receiver two in that offense, I think is very, very, like, it's, it's not, I don't know if likely, but highly possible. Him and Marvin Jones are just kind of like my guys as far as those second wide receivers that don't get the kind of love that I think they should, and I think they're both great. If we go back to college, so Christian Kirk came into college as a five-star recruit. He went to Texas A&M. In his freshman year, he balled out. He had breakout. Like, everything about this guy just kind of from year one, he's played very well. He's been great out of high school. He was great in college. 
Last year in 13 games, he had 107 targets. Over a 16 games, that's 132 target pace. Like, that's that's awesome. Um, I'll take that all day. His touchdowns aren't going to be super high. But, I mean, even if they bump a little bit, that's kind of where the upside starts to come in, if he can get targets even close to that. We also have to kind of realize we've gotten spoiled over the last several years with early breakouts from uh, wide receivers. And Kirk, that last year was his second year in the league. He's been playing incredible. This year is year three. Like year three is usually when a wide receiver really steps into his own. And uh, yeah, he's already kind of got that connection with Kyler Murray, unlike DeAndre Hopkins. So second year with Kyler Murray, uh, third year as a wide receiver, and all he's kind of done is show out all the time that he's played football. Like, I don't know how you can't like Christian Kirk. Yeah, I, the reason I really like Christian Kirk, too, and I've, I've warmed on him lately as I realized that I looked more into the situation. You're going to know exactly when to start Christian Kirk, in my opinion. Like, I think he's the, the perfect guy that you're going to use as a flex spot, and maybe you rotate him in with another running back or a wide receiver. And based on matchup, he's like your first flex or your second flex or whatever. Because when DeAndre Hopkins has a shadow corner on him, that's when you want to play Christian Kirk. Or if they're just in a, uh, a good matchup in general, you want to play Christian Kirk. But I think 10 out of 16 games this year, you're going to be like, all right, yeah, I feel comfortable starting Christian Kirk. And in probably six, seven, eight of them, he's going he's gonna to reward you because he is a good player. He is a year three wide receiver. The reason I was lower on him at first is because, no, I don't see top 10 potential for Christian Kirk, but that's fine. Not every receiver has top 10 potential. He can be wide receiver 16 as a ceiling, which is still going to very much help you if he's your, if he's your third, fourth receiver and, and he's your wide receiver three or your first flex position. So I definitely love Christian Kirk in the eighth, ninth round where he's going. And especially in best ball leagues, when you don't even have to choose when to start him, I think he's going to be a great pick in there too. So um, I feel like I have all Rams guys. But uh, league winners, Cam Akers is my guy. And the reason – I have not been high on Cam Akers this year. In general, mm -hmm. in Dynasty, I wrote him up for the draft guide. If you want to go check that out, it's in the description. I wasn't very high on Cam Akers. And the reason we haven't talked about it much on this channel is it's a good reason. And to me, it's because despite them spending a top 60 pick on a running back, the Rams that is, this was a bad landing spot for Cam Akers in my opinion. And him specifically, if a different running back had landed here – I wouldn't be as concerned, but his biggest issue in college was a lack of nuance and over creativity in his running style. And understandably, so he had a horrible offensive line, but I broke this down in the draft guide. And as I mentioned, if you want to go check that out, you can see the film clips of what I'm talking about. The pros, you can't do that. You cannot be dancing behind the line of scrimmage when Nick Bose is in your division setting the edge. Like you just can't do that. And the reason I, I didn't like that so much is because I fell for it with Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones was the guy I compared Cam Akers to, and we saw what Ronald Jones did his rookie year. Now, I don't think Cam Akers is going to be that bad as a rookie, but I, I see the same issues that I saw from Rojo. So here's what changed for me uh, in the past couple weeks or so. Let's look at the pro progression of the coach speak from the Rams. In the first, uh, I believe it was the week of training camp, Coach Sean McVay said, we feel like we've got three really good backs when discussing the Rams backfield. So he's talking about Malcolm Brown, Cam Akers, and Daryl Henderson. To me, this is the, the example of the typical, the rookie needs to earn his stripes, he needs to improve, he needs to beat out the other guys if he wants to be a starter. The next week, he said, um, Rams running back Daryl uh, Henderson said his rehab was for his surgically repaired ankle from last year is going well. So when you hear shit like this, uh, we hear it all the time. Uh, you should beware from shit like this because when you're rehabbing what, from one thing being a, um, a surgically repaired ankle for Daryl Henderson, you tend to injure other things. And that's not my opinion. I've heard that from fantasy doctors around the industry and it's a real thing if you're if you tore your ACL last year there's a chance you're going to get a hamstring injury because you're overcompensating for it it's just how the human body works I guess so 
the next week, uh, Rams running back Cam Akers could get an early opportunity to demonstrate his ability in the team's crowded backfield. And this was from a beat reporter that reports on the Los Angeles Rams. So she's speculating the fact that Cam Akers is looking the best. He's going to get the opportunity in this team's backfield. Again, that's not concrete proof. We hear shit like this all the time. Here's the next thing. Cam Akers, or uh, Daryl Henderson busts his hamstring, suffered a mild hamstring uh, injury, and the team hopes to have him ready by week one. To me, that means Daryl Henderson's off my board. I'm not drafting him anywhere because hopes to be ready for week one means he's, there's like a 50-50 shot. He starts on the pup list. And if he's not on the pup list, he's likely to re-injure it again. So much like Kareem Hunt his rookie year, Akers is going to be thrust into the starting role. Whether that's a 50% snap share to start or a 65% opportunity share like I talked about with starting running backs and feature backs, this is an offense that is going to reward him if he is good. So they like to run in the red zone. They ranked top five in red zone uh, rush percentage uh, last year, and they vacated 59 rushes, uh, uh, touches in the red zone from Todd Gurley. It's the reason I don't like Todd Gurley is because they run the ball so much in the red zone that him going to the Falcons is not, it's not the same thing. So they also gave their backs receiving work if they were effective with it. I know last year they had a league low 10% of passes to the running back position, but that was because Todd Gurley was inefficient. Remember how I mentioned Sean McVay is a good coach. If something's not working, he's not just going to keep doing it. 17% and 20% were the, the um, percentage of passes that went to running backs the previous two years when Todd Gurley was effective with it. So I think if Cam Akers is good, and I'm wrong about his talent because I do think he's going to struggle his rookie year, if he's very good, he definitely has the opportunity in front of him to be a league-winning type of running back. The biggest type of uh, league winners at the running back position are generally rookie running backs, and they're also usually coming from ambiguous backfields where we don't know the starter. The Daryl Henderson hamstring tra- uh, strain definitely clears up a lot of things because at the very least, it's going to give Cam Akers an opportunity to show the coaches what he's, what he's worth and what he's got while Daryl Henderson isn't practicing. Yeah, I was surprised you took – because Akers would have been my league winner. I kind of had to pick a guy I'm not huge on. But uh, it's been surprising because Akers has kind of been my guy of the two of us. Like, I loved him in college. I loved him as a high school recruit. I've loved him. Like, I love really everything about Cam Akers. So, it's kind of just good to see you come around. I actually believe in his talent a ton. And I think this kind of whole drumbeat with him, uh, it's just like wheels up for Cam Akers. I think it's going to be a monster year, to be honest with you. Yeah, this is this is the type of thing that you want to wait till you draft, too. So if you drafted your redraft league already, this is the type of information you want to know because Cam Akers, whoever picked Cam Akers in your redraft league in like the sixth, seventh round is looking like a genius because he's going to be a fourth, fifth round pick from now on, I think, because with Henderson out, he at least has the, the opportunity to really impress the coaching staff and, and get on their good side if not just completely start out right. All right. There's probably going to be some weird edits in this stuff. I've got my three-year-old that keeps coming in. So I just figured I'd say something because faces are probably going to jump around and it's probably going to happen a couple of times. And uh, yeah, we're doing the best we can out here. So Cam Akers would have been my league winner, but I had to go with someone else who I I'm kind of like, I, I think his opportunity is going to be there and we'll see the upside is huge, but I don't know. It's uh, it's Brandon Ayuk. Um, and like I said, I don't feel terribly strong about him, but his upside is huge. Debo going down, like he's not out for the year, but Ayuk's been getting a ton of reps because of that. Jalen Hurd was always kind of the guy that was kind of like, oh, but Jalen Hurd's going to break out this year. He's coming back. Well, bad luck hit again and he tore his ACL. So Jalen Hurd is gone. They took Brandon Ayuk in the first round. Like this was a super deep, super good wide receiver class. And they still took Brandon Ayuk in the first round. 
Kyle Shanahan has not always been great at picking his guys. If we go back to like Joe Williams and just all these guys that Kyle Shanahan pounds the table for, but Ayuk is another one of those guys. And we're going to see, I think early on how they like to use them. If you look at Jimmy G's kind of like quarterbacking style as well, Brandon Ayuk is one of the best yards after the catch wide receivers in this year's draft. And that's what Jimmy Garoppolo kind of relies on is getting the ball in his wide receivers hands like Debo and now Ayuk and letting them make plays with it. Another thing that Jimmy Garoppolo was great at last year, even though he just didn't do it much was deep, deep throws. So they only threw deep 6.5% of the time, which is abysmal. It's like the bottom of the league. But when he was throwing deep, he was actually extremely accurate and very good. Brandon Ayuk is much more fast than he is quick. Going long and going deep is something I think Brandon Ayuk could actually excel at, especially just kind of at his cost. I mean, Brandon Ayuk is like wide receiver 66 or something like that, maybe even later. And uh, I just I think that really that alone kind of just makes me say, like, we should at least take a shot on him. Yeah, I feel I feel like low key the Niners like receiving core. Do you remember last year when the Giants like entire receiving core got hurt and Darius Slayton basically broke out yep. because of like opportunity? I mean, I yep. wasn't the biggest fan of Darius Slayton coming out of school, and I'm I'm kind of lukewarm on Brandon Ayuk as well. But if no one's there, he's gonna produce. They can't throw the ball to George Kittle on every single play. Like they have to throw yep. it to someone else. I, I swear to God, I saw like Kendrick Bourne got, went down too or something. Like their whole receiver core is being decimated. Like they have nobody. And if Debo Samuel was healthy right now, I'd probably draft him in the third round because he has a like he would have had a crazy opportunity ahead of him. But it looks like that guy's going to be Ayuk. And speaking to Ayuk, I'm pretty sure they were going to take him at 13. Like, had they still had that pick, they said they had him ranked higher than Rugs and and uh, and Judy and stuff, which I find that hard to believe. I feel like that's um, just kind of boosting their guy. But if they were really that high on him, and it makes sense, he does fit their scheme then I understand it. And I, and I definitely trust that Kyle Shanahan can use him correctly because I think Ayuk is definitely, was definitely more of a landing spot dependent prospect than someone like CD lamb or Jerry Judy. So I, 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 I love the fit that they have there. We'll see how it plays out. And I'm kind of on board with you. I'm not like, he's not someone I'm super targeting, but the upside is definitely there. Yeah. Shanahan, it's just like I said, he's not great with his guys, but this is definitely one of Shanahan's guys. So he's going to want to make him succeed. And uh, just the final thing is their, their beginning schedule is Cardinals, Jets, Giants. So, I mean, if Debo's out for those games and Ayuk is the guy, I mean, it's, it's looking real nice at the beginning of the year. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so into the bounce back candidates here, this is a guy that um, is probably fantasy oatmeal to a lot of uh, people. If you built a, a roster of like the most boring players to draft in fantasy, this guy might be the starting quarterback and that's Jared Goff. To me, he's the perfect example of why volume doesn't equal an elite fantasy option. There's such thing as good volume and volume, which is a side argument that I won't talk about right now, but that's why I don't like guys like David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell is because their volume is bad volume. It's not good volume. So despite passing 626 times last year, which I believe led the league in, uh, in past attempts, Goff had a 3.5% touchdown ratio. So over the past um, two seasons when the Rams were like this great dominant offense, Five and a half percent was Goff's um, passing touchdown percentage. I don't think he's going to get up to that point this year, but he should regress positively to the high fours, which is his career average. So they didn't address the offensive line in the offseason, and I know that's a little concerning for some people, but we all touted McVay as this genius coach a year or two ago. What if the line is better than we think? They ranked number one in pass protection, which I don't think people realize per football outsiders. Now take that with a grain of salt because PFF didn't rank them as highly as fo football outsiders does, but 
for whatever reason, they are better than we think it is. And I think it's just because there's this narrative around their offensive line being terrible that we all think it's bad. But they got significantly more effective with the shift of uh, 212 personnel. Now, whether that actually keeps up or not, we'll see. But again, I think McVay is a good coach, and I'm going to trust that he's going to know what to do to cover up some of the holes on his offensive line if there is any. So to me, the big thing is removing Todd Gurley from the offense because Todd Gurley was inefficient, and hopefully Cam Akers can be effective as a, uh, as a rookie. But Todd Gurley was the offense the, the previous two years, and the reason Goff was so efficient was because Todd Gurley was so efficient. So with Gurley being inefficient last year, Jared Goff was inefficient. Goff is a fair weather quarterback. I'm not, I'm not up here saying that Jared Goff is a truck quarterback that he's going to carry his team to victories. And he's the next Russell Wilson. Like, no, if the system is in place and Goff can perform within the system, he's going to be good. And maybe this new 12 personnel system can increase his efficiency back to his career average. Basically I'm betting that last year was Goff's floor. So 626 pass attempts may not seem like a floor to some people, but hopefully the team is going to have a more balanced attack in 2020. And they still won nine games last year. It's not like they're a bad team. Like I, I know everyone is assuming the Cardinals are going to take this big step forward and the Niners are a juggernaut and the Seahawks are going to be elite now with Jamal Adams. But don't forget about the Rams just from a real life NFL perspective in this division, because I think they're still a good team. I think this might be one of the best, probably the best division in football. I don't expect the team to go three and 13 in this division. I think the worst team from this division is probably going to win seven games. So I just think Goff is primed for a bounce back season. He's definitely a, a post type sleeper because he was drafted as a top 10 fantasy quarterback last year. And it's not like he was terrible, but he also wasn't great either. Yeah, I think it's a tough division. So that means close games and close games typically means more pass attempts. Uh, and just in general, uh, I mean, I, I'm kind of on the same page with you as Goff. I mean, I, I don't like love him, but I, we look at the offense and we love the offense. So in turn, you've kind of got to love the quarterback, at least uh, at least for a bounce back. Yeah, he's a great QB too, in my opinion, because like he's going to slip below guys that he has no business slipping below. Like someone will probably take fucking Drew Locke ahead of him, even though that shouldn't happen just because Goff is, is fantasy oatmeal. He, we've, we've seen him for a couple of years. We've seen his ceiling. We, we know his floor. Everyone kind of knows his range of outcomes. So if you have someone that's just going to fade him into QB 18 to 20 range, I don't think he belongs there. I think he belongs in the QB 15 kind of uh, area and he's going to probably finish there. I think his floor is QB 15 because that's just what Goff has proven his whole career. Yeah, I'm totally on board with that. Uh, so my bounce back candidate is going to be a big swing. We kind of alluded to it earlier. When we talk about the Niners backfield, I'm going with the cheapest guy and that is Jarek the Jet McKinnon. Uh, Brita is gone and I love Matt Brita. I really think Jarek McKinnon is actually kind of like the bigger, more athletic version of Brita and Brita is actually super athletic. Jarek McKinnon is just a freak. If you go to player profile, he's literally, he's like maxed out on everything. I mean, the guy is like the sparkiest, crazy ass. And he came into the league. Well, in college, he was a quarterback. You know, so it took him a little bit of a developing. But if we go back to Minnesota, you know, three years ago, because he's been out two years in a row, there's a reason why he got the big contract. His contract was much bigger than Tevin Coleman's. They were paying him to be like the guy as much as you can be in Kyle Shanahan's offense, because in Minnesota, he was the guy. Like, yes, he wasn't very efficient um, one year, but then the next year he bounced back and he's an incredible receiver out of the backfield. Super shifty, great with his hands. And uh, when you get him in space, he's super good. Uh, I look at his cost at RB71, and I feel like that's all I really need to say. Like RB71, when this guy, like like we talked about earlier, the drum beat is in his camp. 
in camp, they're talking about Jarek McKinnon being the best guy. He's juking defenders. He's catching balls. It's not just the coach. It's not just the beat writers. It's Jimmy Garoppolo even saying the same thing. He looks electric. It's so good to have him on the field when I'm catching, when I'm throwing him balls, he's doing amazing things with it. It's like, eventually we got to start to listen. And I already liked Jarek McKinnon as a player and the injuries have just kind of like made me forget about him. But I'm just, uh, I'm just being reminded the cost and the player I'm, I'm all in on uh, Jarek McKinnon. Yeah. And the big thing for me with McKinnon is that they don't really have a receiving back. So that's where he can really like assert himself. And that's what we saw him do in Minnesota the year that Dalvin Cook got hurt. It was him and Latavius Murray and kind of a 50-50 uh, timeshare. Raheem Mostert, I don't know why people assume this because he's like explosive. He's not that good of a receiver. Like he's been efficient as a receiver, but it's been because of like big plays padding his stats. But Tevin Coleman is not a good receiver. He's never been a good receiver. Nope. He's always been inefficient as a receiver. So if Jarek McKinnon is the guy that they're all saying he is, and again, when there's smoke, there's fire. If you're hearing it from multiple different sources, beat writers, coaches, quarterbacks, teammates, like when that shit is all happening, it means the player is actually good in camp. It's not them just saying Jarek McKinnon looked great off the injury like one time. Like if you're hearing it all the time, every day from different sources, that means Jarek McKinnon's going to have a role. And as far as him making linebackers look silly, I mean, Quan Alexander's on that team and I saw him in Tampa and he can't tackle for shit. So that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> but yeah, Jarek McKinnon at RB71, why not? Like, it's a dart throw. Like, maybe you cut him after one week when you know, when you see his role. And he is that type of guy, too, which is the type of dart throws you want to be taking. That you'll know his role week one, probably. Like, he'll probably be on the field 30% of the snaps or 50% of the snaps. Like, you'll know, you'll be able to gauge, okay, is this guy a guy I can flex? Is this a guy that belongs on the waiver wire? Is this a guy I should trade away, trade for? Like, whatever. So, Jarek McKinnon, yeah, perfect dart throw candidate. I could definitely see him having a bounce back season. I don't think he's ever going to get to the form that we thought he was going to get to before the 2018 season when we were all taking him in the second, third round. But there's a chance he's, he's kind of like, like he's in that Tariq Cohen mold where he's like the receiving back of the team. And maybe he's the most predictable of all the Kyle Shanahan running backs. As I mentioned, it's pretty hard to predict them. So, I think McKinnon has the chance to be the, like the full-time receiving back on the team. So anything else before we get out of here? Should we sign it off? No. Yeah, that's great, man. All right, cool. As, as Nick mentioned, uh, thanks for bearing with us through this video. He had his son uh, interrupting us a couple times, but we got through it. We pushed through. So if you enjoyed this video, as I mentioned, like, comment, subscribe to the channel. If you're new, hit the bell icon. We're going to be ramping up the amount of content we post over the next two to three weeks. As we know, this is primetime fantasy season. Everyone's drafting. Everyone's uh, just got their teams. They want to know what we think of their players that they drafted, all that stuff, who you want to trade for. All that stuff is going to be talked about in the coming weeks. And then once we're into the season, it's, it's full steam ahead. We're fucking excited as hell to be able to watch football this year. A lot of us, including myself, were a little bit weary when, when we saw the Marlins getting infected like crazy. We're like, oh shit, like the football season might not happen, but it looks like it's happening. Like the training camps in full swing and, and the COVID tests are hopefully uh, going to stay at bay for us. So without further ado, guys, take it easy and enjoy your Monday.